Are you concerned about the air that you're breathing, especially with increasing air pollution? We all know how vital indoor air quality is, and here's where Puro Air steps in to make the difference. Did you know that indoor air can be up to 100 times, 100 times dirtier than the air outside? That's where Puro Air comes to the rescue. In just 30 minutes, this revolutionary device can transform the air in your room by removing allergens, dust, smoke, dander, and gases. But what sets Puro Air apart is its cutting-edge HEPA-14 filter, a powerhouse that tackles pollutants at a microscopic level. And it's not just me saying that, Puro Air is backed by scientists from both Harvard and MIT. I personally loved having a Puro Air purifier. I feel like I can breathe again, especially after battling congestion for like the last month. Winter can be tough, but within an hour, it was crazy. I could feel my sinuses beginning to open up. I slept through the night without coughing, and I've been sleeping so much better now that we have a Puro Air running in our bedroom. So check it out at getpuroair.com. That's G-E-T-P-U-R-O-A-I-R.com. One more time, getpuroair.com. If you're planning to cut back on alcohol this dry January, Recess Zero Proof Craft Mocktails are the perfect alcohol replacement. Recess has meticulously crafted familiar favorites such as lime margarita and grapefruit paloma, allowing you to savor the flavors and experience of these cocktails without the alcohol content. Throughout January, my listeners can take advantage of a special offer and get 15% off the Recess Mocktail Sampler Pack at takearecess.com minimalist. Every can of Recess boasts a lightly sparkling mocktail infused with functional ingredients and a calorie count of 25 or less. It's a guilt-free option for winding down during dry January. Again, whether it's the end of a demanding day, a dinner gathering, or simply a moment to unwind, these mocktails are the perfect choice. You won't miss the alcohol, and you certainly won't miss dealing with a hangover. Get 15% off Recess mocktails now at takearecess.com minimalist so you can enjoy your favorite cocktails without the consequences. If we could wrap our heads around the mystery of this idea of God, then we would be gods ourselves. And that's just, we aren't, okay? So obviously some disappointment and that there's not going to be an easy answer, but that's also our hope. The fact that we can't explain God actually makes us feel safer and more secure. The fact that God is beyond figuring out is exactly the kind of God that can make us feel safe when everything else is falling apart. We may not have the answers. We may not understand, but we can trust that this God that we believe in is so big, so beyond figuring out that somehow, even if we can't see and understand, he can. And that's a really critical part of us finding a faith that does not fail, is allowing God to be bigger than our understanding. Hello, and welcome to the Minimalist Moms podcast. I'm Diane. I'm a mother of three living in Columbus, Ohio. I'm trying to make room in my life for what matters by getting rid of the clutter and living life with purpose. I hope you'll join me on the journey to think more and do with less. Life can be hard. Although there are moments of beauty and goodness, more often than not, real life is marked by unexpected difficulties. In this episode, I spoke with author Michelle Couchat to discuss her new book, A Faith That Will Not Fail, which offers practical and grounded ways to find hope in the midst of life's unexpected difficulties. We dive into faith practices like lament, waiting in connection, and how they can help us navigate the darker moments of life. Michelle shares her own journey of building a resilient faith and offers insights on how to fill our days with reminders of God's never-ending devotion. For those of you that are new around here, I release bonus episodes that serve a niche part of my audience. 
I do have listeners of all faith backgrounds that listen to this podcast. This episode is coming from a Christian perspective, so if that's something that doesn't fit what you're looking for, check out the other episode that dropped this week with Jamie Baker all about the mind and closet decluttering, or join me back here next Tuesday for a conversation that you don't want to miss. Also with bonus episodes, I don't typically share a minimalist resource or a minimalist moment with you, so let's just dive on into this conversation with Michelle Couchot. Michelle, thanks for joining me today on the Minimalist Moms podcast. Thank you. I'm so glad to be here. Um, We had a few minutes here to chat before we got on the call, and it's been great to get to know you so far. And I asked you beforehand, I said, what are you an expert in? And you said it was something that you weren't necessarily trying to be an expert in, but you were (laughs) resilience. And what was the other word you used? Um, Overcoming. So this idea of dealing with hard circumstances and finding the strength and the muscle to endure, even when it feels impossible. Funny thing about that is you only need resilience. Like you can only build resilience when you're in situations that require it. So nobody wants to be in a situation that requires resilience. And yet that's the means to becoming the women of strength that we want to be. Absolutely. So you have written a new book of faith that will not fail. And we're going to be talking about that today. But before we get into that conversation, Uh why don't you quickly go ahead, introduce yourself. And I always ask everyone if they consider themselves to be a minimalist. So I'm curious to hear your answer. (laughs) Okay. You got it. Well, uh, yes. My name is Michelle Cachet. I'm a wife. I'm a mom. I have, are you ready for this? Six kids, ages 31, 29, 26, 16, 15, 15, and the twins, the 15-year-olds turn 16 tomorrow. So um, so I'm not a minimalist when it comes to the number of children I have, because I have six of them. But by nature of having that many kids, you really have to become a minimalist. You have to focus on what really matters, what's most important, and let everything else go. Yeah, absolutely. And with your book, A Faith That Will Not Fail, I want you to tell me a little bit more about your background and how we got to this point and why this has been an important part. Writing this book has been an important part of your journey. Totally. I'm a firstborn. I have a younger brother, but I would say probably from birth, I came out of the womb with a plan. Like I wanted to have a very well-organized well-orchestrated life. I wanted it to follow a plan. I wanted it to add up like a math equation. However, um, part of my story is that life did the exact opposite. It Everything that I had planned was turned upside down. And I ended up with this very much upside down life. So in the past 30 years, so I'm 51 now. So in the past 30 years, since I was 21, I've experienced uh, marriage, unexpected divorce, single motherhood, remarriage and step family. I've had um, pregnancies, births and miscarriage. Uh, I've lost uh, a parent to terminal pancreatic cancer. I've dealt with all kinds of relational crises and church drama. And then on top of all of that, I've managed to have cancer three times, cancer of the head and neck. It was cancer of the tongue. So I make my living as a speaker, as a coach, as a communications coach and presentation coach. And literally the very part of my body that is kind of the core of who I am, my identity to some extent. My my speech, my mouth was impacted by cancer. And the last time I got it, the third time it came back, uh, it was so advanced and significant that they basically gave me two weeks to get my affairs in order. 
at which point in time they put me in the hospital for a nine hour surgery where they removed two thirds of my tongue, um, removed uh, several lymph nodes, my submandibular gland, cut open my arm, my leg to kind of take all of these body pieces and parts to put me back together again. I was like Humpty Dumpty. Uh, and after all of that, they started uh, intensive external radiation and chemotherapy. The idea being there, and this is what the doctor said, we had to take you to the brink of death in order to hopefully save your life. Uh, and so that part of the journey too, then it turns everything upside down. And so that's how we landed on this whole idea of how do we have a faith that will not fail, mm. even when it feels like our world is falling apart. You are the person to talk to about resilience. There's so <laughs> much about your story that you have had to persevere. And I can't even imagine the mindset of being told that. And again, I feel like it's such a spiritual attack too of the tongue, that the way that you have made a living is the thing that was affected. But I want to talk about how you have taken these not so great moments and turned them into a way to minister to women and to mm -hmm. minister to yourself too. And what God's done for you in your life throughout these valleys. So you have in your book, 10 different practices and you have five days per chapter. So you say that you can do these practices within maybe five to 10 minutes each day. Yes. So not being overwhelmed by an entire book. I want to talk about those practices. Maybe we'll just pull some nuggets from each of the practices or maybe mm -hmm. share your favorite ones. But do you have one that stands out to you right now? Well, I think the way I open the book, which is kind of a, a surprising way to open the book is with the practice of lament. And so in mm -hmm. some ways, I wouldn't necessarily call it my favorite because none of us really enjoy lamenting or grieving or being <laughs> overcome with sorrow. But this idea of the practice of lament is such a key skill to learn, such a key practice, because so many times, especially those of us who live in the United States or American or Western civilization kind of mentality, is we feel like we need to skip over the sadness to get to embracing the American dream and being happy and, and building our good life. I mean, I think of what my social media stream looked like in the first weeks after January 1st, and everybody's going to go get them and conquer the world and all of that. But the problem is, is if we skip past the very, the acknowledgement of the very real losses and challenges in our life, we actually short circuit our health and healing. So this idea of a practice of lament is just very simply giving mm -hmm. voice to the very real, real grief that we feel sometimes in small ways, big ways, but on a regular basis, just to say, gosh, I feel sad about that. Yeah, absolutely. I think for a lot of people as they're starting to think through and process some of these feelings. And again, not ignoring them, like allowing themselves to lament for people that are spiritual, that are Christians, they can question their faith. There might be a lot of questioning going on yes. in there. So what would you say to people that say, how can God allow these bad things to happen mm -hmm. if he's good? Yeah. That's the question that I think all of us ask at some point in life. Like if we live long enough, that's the question that we're going to land on. And um, because it's hard for us to reconcile our desire to believe in a good and present and powerful God. And yet the reality of our circumstances that seem unmitigated and unchanged, right? Regardless of the reality of this God. Um, a couple of things uh, to consider here. First of all, I'm going to disappoint you because there's really no black and white answer to that question. If we could answer that question, God would be really small. <laughs> if we could wrap our heads around the mystery of 
this idea of God, then we would be gods ourselves. And that's just, we aren't. Okay. So obviously some disappointment and that there's not going to be an easy answer, but that's also our hope. The fact that we can't explain God actually makes us feel safer and more secure. The fact that God is beyond figuring out is exactly the kind of God that can make us feel safe when everything else is falling apart. We may not have the answers. We may not understand, but we can trust that this God that we believe in is so big, so beyond figuring out that somehow, even if we can't see and understand, he can. And that's a really critical part of us finding a faith that does not fail is allowing God to be bigger than our understanding. Yeah. We, we say we want answers, but at the end of the day, answers aren't really going to resolve our angst. We need to be able to acknowledge our grief and suffering and believe that there is a God beyond us that holds all things in his hands and somehow some way is going to make sense of this in the right amount of time. I'm someone that has to justify the bad things that happen. I search and I try and claw my way to an answer. I just need answers. And then that puts me at peace. And I think the hardest thing is to not have answers and to have prayed for something. And then it doesn't come to fruition or bad things happen anyways. And for me, maybe this is still trying to play God and trying to have all the answers, but my justification is is simple. It's just that we live in a fallen world where sin has penetrated the hearts of Mm -hmm. people has probably genetically at this point penetrated people and therefore horrible things still happen. It's not that God ever intended for that. It's not that he ever wanted that. And so I have a peace in his goodness because he, I don't want to say he's separate from that, but I just view him as no, he is good. He allows these things to happen because we've chosen humanity has chosen to sin and we can fight for the peace that surpasses understanding that we can find in him. Does that make sense? Yeah, Yeah, totally. So when I wrestle with this question, one, one thing that brings me peace is the magnitude, the mystery of God Two, understanding our culpability for the evil that we experience, right? We have to understand at some level and accept that we are in part responsible for many of the pains that we suffer, right? Um, that we have contributed to this broken world. And even though I feel like I'm a fairly good person, I'm not out there committing murder, we have to acknowledge that humans do have the capacity for that kind of evil. So some of our suffering is the result of our own humanity. So God's mystery and magnitude, humanity's depravity, right, um, is another piece. And then the third piece that helps bring peace to this whole question of how can a good God allow bad things to happen is the fact that I need to accept that sometimes my definition of what is good and what is bad is not complete. So, for example, uh, the whole entire Christian narrative is rooted in Jesus's um, crucifixion, death, and resurrection. Now, when Jesus died, and we're here approaching Easter, when Jesus died, to the disciples and everybody else that knew Jesus, that was the worst thing that could ever happen, right? It was bad news. It was like bad, bad, bad. Jesus died at the hands of merciless people, right? It was bad. But what we, what the disciples didn't realize during those days of Jesus's arrest and trial and crucifixion and death is it was actually the best possible news. In fact, we call it the gospel, which is the good news, right? 
So what they thought was bad news actually was the best possible news for all of us. Now, if that could be true about the entire gospel narrative, is it possible that at times what I define as being bad, okay, might have some ultimate good that I'm not aware of yet, right? And so just allowing the possibility that maybe I don't have all the information and facts. I'm not saying yeah. that God causes children to die or God caused me to have cancer. That's what I'm saying. But I can even tell you in my own life, the worst thing that ever happened to me was getting diagnosed with cancer three times and losing my speech and all that kind of stuff. And yet at the same time, I cannot deny mm -hmm. the incredible breathtaking good that has come not in spite of my losses, but as a direct result of them. Oh yeah. Right? Yeah. I think it's hard when you're talking to someone that isn't a believer and, uh, trying to reconcile something like the loss of a child. Why did God still let this happen? Or why did this happen? Maybe it's wrong and it's not actually spiritually ac accurate that I detach God from those things. But again, I'm like, God never wanted that to happen. I don't know why this happens. And I think things like that, sometimes we'll never have answers. Never have answers too. Lucky to have the hindsight now to see how God's used cancer and the experiences in your yeah. life on the side. But I, I'm just talking to the listener that I don't have answers for of why the bad yeah. thing happened. And I want to know how we come alongside them. And are there things that we should avoid saying to these people? Because yeah. I just never want to minimize the pain or the lament that will probably always weigh heavy on their hearts. This is super important. And let me tell you, as someone who's gone through a lot of suffering, I have received my fair amount of not helpful comments, <laughs> right? I've had the people who have um, let me know that if I would just stop eating chocolate, cancer wouldn't come back again, right? Or I've had people literally not kidding at speaking engagements, handing me essential oils, telling me that if I really was serious about overcoming cancer, I would use this oil or I would, I've had people send me recipe books to help me, you know, all of those things, not helpful. Um, in those moments when somebody is suffering, um, the worst thing you could do in those moments is to assume that you can fix it for them, Right that you feel like you just need to dive in and tell them what to do. They don't need your solution. They need your presence. So one of the best things you can do for people who are in a hard place is just to offer them the safety of your love and acceptance and presence. That's it. Like show up. Don't talk too much. <laughs> don't try to solve it. When we try to turn their pain into a math equation that we can solve, we actually minimize and devalue their suffering. And that adds more pain on top of their pain. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think that's great advice. So I want to come back to the way that you've set up your book with these practices. Uh -huh. You said lament was the first one. So, uh, you know, after lament, I mean, there's 10 practices, there's multiple, there's practices like the practice of humility, which is something that's grossly lacking in our culture right now. What does it look like to understand our position before God and how does that strengthen our faith? Um, the practice of perspective. Uh, when do we need to shift our perspective? Sometimes, well, I say it this way. Pain is is myopic. Like it, cre it creates an, a nearsightedness where we can only see our own pain. And, and that's understandable. But part of a faith that does not fail is not just seeing our own pain, but being able to see the pain of others and realize that we are in this together, which leads me to the practice of community. 
Um, over the last three years, as we've gone through the pandemic and so many other things, we've actually stopped connecting in many ways. We've buffered ourselves behind a computer screen or a phone screen, and we've stopped being intentional about face-to-face -face community. And the reality is, is that the wounds that happen in relationship can only be healed in relationship. And we actually need to intentionally connect in order to find both healing for ourselves and the other person, but also together to build up each other's faith so we have a faith that will not fail. It really requires the community, the teamwork to stay strong and build resilience when we feel like our world is falling apart. The connectivity with one another when we're going through hard times is critical. Well, pain is isolating. So when we yeah. are suffering or struggling, and again, when I say pain, it could be something like a diagnosis or it could be something like a child that's just really struggling and it's painful for us to watch their struggle in school or whatever. So whatever the pain is, but pain is isolating. It makes us feel like we're the only ones. The only thing that can counteract that isolation is somebody else, us allowing somebody else into it and them saying, me too. I have felt that way before too. And the moment somebody says, me too, all of a sudden, the weight of our pain is shared, like it's halved in that relationship with somebody else. No more stressful trips to the fitting room under fluorescent lights. With Armoire, you get to wear quality pieces without the hassle of adding to your wardrobe or paying designer prices. I'll say, as a busy mom of three, I know the importance of treating myself to something special, and Armoire allows me to prioritize quality over quantity in my wardrobe. Plus, Armoire is woman-founded and woman-led, so you can feel good about supporting a business that empowers women. If you're ready to have your dream closet delivered to your door, try Armoire today. You'll never have to worry about finding the perfect outfit for any occasion again. If you're curious for some of the looks that I've chosen, check out my collaboration highlight on Instagram for a few of my favorite Armoire looks. Looks that you can grab too. So right now my listeners can give Armoire a try and get up to 50% off their first month. That's up to $125 off. Just visit armoire.style slash minimalist. That is armoire.style, A-R-M-O-I-R-E dot style slash minimalist to get up to 50% off your first month and never worry about what to wear again. Try Armoire today. Tacovis is a terrific boot brand, and they're bringing a fresh perspective to heritage boot making. So they've carried forward all the time-honored traditions and quality you find in a great pair of cowboy boots, but they've innovated on comfort, style, and service. As someone who tries to pursue a minimalist lifestyle, I highly value quality over quantity, and I'm telling you, you can't find a higher quality boot than Tacovis. Their western boots for men and women are handmade. Handmade from the most premium leathers with over 200 time-honored individual steps. Also, did I mention that they are Austin-designed, Texas-tested, and handmade down in the boot-making capital of the world, Leon, Mexico? And also, if you've ever wondered if you can pull off cowboy boots, which is something that I was thinking, you should pull on a pair of Tacovas and you'll see. Just do a quick search for Tacovas on social media and you'll see how adorably styled these boots can be. Visit tacovas.com, that's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com, and point your toes west. For a lot of my listeners, I feel like they're on a journey to simplify their lives, but they don't want to sacrifice style, which I completely understand, and that's why I was excited to partner with Home Threads. Home Threads is the perfect blend of minimalism and comfort for your home. 
At HomeThreads.com, you can discover a curated collection of sleek and functional furniture that speaks to the heart of minimalist living, from multifunctional storage to timeless design. They have everything you need to create a clutter-free and serene space for your family. As most of you know, we've recently moved, and I'm not someone to just fill up a room so that it's done and decorated. I wanted to do this with intention, and so I searched out accent chairs on home threads and found the perfect mid-century modern chair that really complements my space. So embrace the beauty of less and elevate your home with purposeful pieces. Visit homethreads.com minimalist and get a code for 15% off your first order. Home threads, love where you live. When you got your diagnosis that third time after cancer, was there ever a moment that you personally doubted God's existence or were you, yeah. were you living out these things or have these practices come throughout the whole journey? Cause I think sometimes when bad things happen in the moment, we just doubt that any of this is real because it's just yeah. like, really again. Yeah. So after that third round, so again, I had gone through multiple cancer diagnoses. We had foster adopted three kids with a hard story. So that added drama. And then in between my second and third diagnosis is when my dad died of terminal pancreatic cancer. So we're talking, I had just a ridiculous amount of physical, emotional, spiritual suffering in the course of about five years, like over the top. Um, when all of that happened and when I, I finally hit my breaking point, I mean, that's when I finally was enough's enough. I had nothing left to give. Um, I had lost, basically I had felt completely decimated spiritually. Uh, when this happens, we tend to ask three questions and these are the questions I ask. One, is God even real? Two, if he's real, is he good? And three, if he's real and good, can I really trust him? And so literally I had to go back to the bare bones uh, with the first question, is God real? And I had to really walk through, what is the evidence of God's reality? What do I believe to be true? Is there any alternative that is worth me believing in? Because one way or the other, I'm going to have to have some faith. I either have faith that God is real or faith that he doesn't exist. But either way, there's going to be a leap. And so I spent months wrestling with that. Once I felt like I confirmed that, yes, I do believe he's real. Then I had to wrestle with his goodness. And that's where I went back to the Bible and go, what kind of evidence do I see in the Bible of how God feels about me, about his character, about how he responds to us as his children to determine, is he good? And then once I worked through that second question, then I had to make a decision. Can I trust him? Will I trust him? Yeah, absolutely. I think you have to start also outside of your faith, doing simple things that bring you peace and joy mm -hmm. in the midst of the suffering. That connection to God is there if we continue to pursue it. But what are some tangible things that I can mm -hmm. even do in the day to day to make it the things that are in my control? I talk often about my house and the clutter inside of it or the things inside of it are the one thing that I can control. I can't control yes. my kids necessarily, my husband, the circumstances outside of my home, but I can control how much I'm bringing in and how it's organized and whatnot. So I think little things like that could even be beneficial when you're going through struggles, like maybe a cup of tea with a book. I know these are so simplistic. Yeah, they're, it's like daily life-giving practices. Like how yeah. can you encounter life yeah. on kind of your own terms? And so I talk about the fact, and again, with me having three kids that have 
been foster adopted from a, a trauma background, one yeah. of the things we learn is in order for them to heal, they have to feel safe. And safety is created by identifying what you have agency over, right? So what do I have agency? I can't control whether or not I have cancer, but I can control how much sleep I get tonight and what I choose to think about and how I choose to talk about my circumstances and taking agency over those things. And I talk about that in the book too, how you speak and think during places of pain matters, right? Yeah. So those are the things we can take agency over in the moment. We're not going to we're not going to get a resolution of our pain right away. It very rarely happens. But what do we have power over? What do we have? And then relinquish everything else. All right. So we've covered how we're processing, how we're lamenting. You've given us some, some takeaways there. And we've talked about ways that we can come alongside of our friends that may be going through harder times. But I'm wondering for the person that feels like they can't do any of this, that they're ready to give up, that they're worn out, worn down. What does spiritual surrender look like for that person? And yeah. how do you keep fighting in the midst of when you feel like you have nothing left? Yes. Well, this is the best news of all, because uh, as much as uh, I talk about these practices to build up your faith, uh, the heavy lifting for this has already been done. Uh, Jesus has already prayed for our faith. He's already advocating for our faith. We have a God who whose grace has done the work of the gospel. And this is good news because I have reached the end of myself many times where I had nothing left to give. And literally, it wasn't me walking back to God or working my way back to him. It was literally him coming, grabbing me off the floor and just carrying, drawing me to himself and carrying me. So let's talk about that spiritual surrender versus giving up. Um, I like to use the metaphor or the analogy of driving in the car. You and I, we love to be in the driver's seat and in control of our own lives, right? We are driving, driving. And let's say we have this dream vacation waiting for us that we're headed to. And we want to be in control and make it happen, right? And if you're a minimalist, that's probably you too. Like simplify everything so we can be in control. <laughs> However, life doesn't go according to plan. As we've talked about, we hit obstacles and roadblocks and construction and everything else. And sometimes we run into enough obstacles that we're like done. Like I give up on my dream. I give up on the destination I'm headed to. Um quitting, abandoning means basically parking the car, getting out of the car and saying, I'm done. I, I'm not even going to try anymore. However, spiritual surrender looks like moving over to the passenger seat and asking Jesus to drive the car. You're still in the car. You still believe that there's a beautiful destination that God has in mind for you. But rather than being in charge of your own life, you move over and you say, Jesus, I trust you. I have no idea how we're going to get there. I have no, I have no strength to do anything else, but you're in my car. I want you to drive this and I'm going with you wherever you go. That's spiritual surrender. And for those of you exhausted and ready to quit, guess what? All you have to do is sit in the passenger seat with Jesus and let him lead you there. Yeah, no, that's a great word. Well, Michelle, there's so many more things that I wanted to cover with you, but I will just direct listeners to your book at this point. But where can listeners connect with you online if they yeah. want to do so or grab a copy of your new book? 
Absolutely. So the easiest place to find me as well as all my social links is on my website, which is michellekashat.com. I'm sure you'll have a link in the notes or you'll send that link. Um, but I'm also on Instagram and Facebook. I have a Facebook page and Instagram. Those are the two places where I hang out the most. If you are someone that just needs little daily encouragements to keep going, that's the best place where you can find those is on Instagram and Facebook. And again, my handle is Michelle Kashat. So it's very simple. Well, Michelle, thank you so much for joining me today and sharing your story with me. I am really looking forward to going through your book and processing it with some friends that are going through hard times as well. So I really appreciate you sharing and being vulnerable with us. Yeah, I just appreciate you being here. Thank you, Diane. My pleasure. What did you think of the episode? I hope you enjoyed the conversation. To learn more about today's guest, including links, resources related to everything discussed today, visit the episode page at minimalistmomspodcast.com, where you can find the entire podcast archive, as well as my book, Minimalist Moms Living and Parenting with Simplicity, or other ways to connect or work with me online. If you'd like to support the podcast, the easiest and most impactful thing you can do is subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify, or YouTube, or wherever you listen to podcasts, and leave a rating or review of your favorite episode. Lastly, sharing the show or your favorite episode with friends on social media is very helpful and will encourage others on their journey to think more and do with less.